Happy New Year and a welcome to In A Different League, the official podcast of the original fantasy football game. We're your hosts, me, Jesse Parker Humphreys. And me, Chris Pilau. And here's what's coming up this week. 2024 kicks off with a look ahead to another competition, the FA Cup. And we're on hand to guide you through the Fantasy League-related fixtures. Stephen Fuller joins us to talk about how he manages two teams in different leagues with different rules. And Neil Mansfield joins us again in part three with all the usual business, updates, news, explanations and everything that puts us in a different league. Chris, you have walked into this Zoom with the grin of a man who's had a very, very good Fantasy League Christmas, New Year, double game week, millions of points. Millions of points, yeah. It's been a very good week, but one that I haven't really spoken too much about because I had people giving me too much attention in the WhatsApp group and stuff. And I'm like, no, no, it's all right. It's normal. It's nothing to be too excited about. But I am. I can't hide it, can I, Jesse? I got 45 points this week on a double game week. Right, so that is two game weeks put together. Uh, but 45 was the best total in our league this week and I'm now into second place now at one point I was only a few points off top uh, I think it's about 13 now the gap but uh, I'm in a very good place Jesse. what about you? I got 18 which is obviously nothing in comparison to your I was feeling good because I've obviously had such a crap run I was like oh finally I've got some goals I've got some assists and then you're in the WhatsApp being like, oh, well, I've got 45. And I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm still in fifth, but it's, yeah, much improved. The thing that's killing me is my defence. I got 29 attacking points, but lost, obviously, 11 I got on defenders. Rated, yeah. um, and I did notice the people who've done best are just people who aren't like hemorrhaging the points defensively the way I am at the moment. I was looking at my dad's team. He's doing very well. He's gone top. But are they doing well defensively or are they just not scoring defensive but they're not playing, yeah. You know, it's my Andy Robertson and Nick Pope who have yeah. actually made my my week good because they haven't been playing at all. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, uh, luckily, last night, Sven Botman got a Newcastle goal, but Newcastle defenders... And this is the problem with my league. Like, when teams start going on these runs, you're just stuck with these players. Like, there's nothing I can really do about it other than grin and bear it and... Hope Eddie Howe sorts out a terrible, terrible defence. Yeah, I was, from a defensive point of view, I was quite, you know, feeling quite smug about the fact that I had Max Kilman in there, who was someone I brought in specifically for a month in our monthly transfer window. And seeing that Wolves had a good run and he did okay. And then against Everton on the weekend, he gets a clean sheet and he gets a goal. And you feel brilliant when you do something like that. Mm. Now I need to ship him out. And whether I'm able to or not, we'll have to wait and see. My transfer window's started this week and oh, there's lots of... We'll, we'll move on to it, I'm sure. But there's lots of demand for... I mean, Luton players are suddenly <laughs> massively in fashion and... <laughs> uh, I need to get my head around what's happening and what, what I can do and whether I should do something to my team because 45 points is very good and and maybe I can slowly start to admit that yeah I could win the title but I'd have to carry on doing very well this like I did this week and that is like it was a very good spread of points it was the fact that Cunha Watkins uh, Elise you know, there's no like out and out brilliant player in there Watkins obviously is but um, I don't have a star in there I don't think whether Watkins is or not. Um, and it's just been very spread across the squad. And I need that to carry on happening um, if I'm to continue to do well. We'll see. 
Yeah, I've I've sort of had a similar experience over Christmas where players who hadn't really been picking up points, Musa Diaby, Marcus Rashford, um, they all popped up. Yeah, and finally got I finally got my um Nkunku goal. I obviously wasn't here yes, to talk about we it. We celebrated it for you last week, don't worry. Thank Jesse. God. Yeah. No, that was a good moment. Potentially the highlight of uh my Christmas um. <laughs> <laughs> well they said that um, you know we'll, we'll find out from our guest in part two whether he says it was like Christmas Day or not uh, but did now that we both had a Christmas Day did Christmas Day feel like the auction day to you did the auction day feel like Christmas Day um, <laughs> did you wake up to the, saying this is just like Fantasy League auction day I can't say I, I did although I guess it's, you know I guess Christmas Day, you know, you get presents given to you, whereas Fantasy League, it's like you've got to yes. go and find your pre- and cover your presents yourself. It's more like maybe the Christmas shopping period. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. There's something to, yeah, to the work sales. on. I feel like this is always a bit of a weird part of the year because you get force-fed so much Premier League football. It's like on non-stop all the time. And then suddenly it's like the brakes are put on and we hit this FA Cup yeah. game week. I'm sure... You know, everyone listening will know, obviously, about the FA Cup competition. But you obviously can't really... I mean, I guess maybe some... If you've got a weekly transfer window, maybe you you can approach it a bit more, like, specifically. But I always feel like the FA Cup is a very relaxing fantasy league competition for me because I'm like, there's really not much I can do. It's all about how many of my players stay in for as long as possible. Every Premier League team against lower opposition normally rotates loads. So even if you've got you know, standout players playing against lesser teams, there's a huge chance they won't play. And and for some reason that makes me feel zen. I don't know why. Mm. I've actually done quite well. I've won the FA Cup before in my other league. I do target the FA Cup sometimes when I'm not doing particularly well. If I'm sort of sat in mid-table and I'm like, there's no chance I'm going to be able to contend. I might try and do something, especially with the transfer windows I've had. So I used to be in a weekly transfer window. And now I'm in a monthly one. It was weekly. It was a lot easier to do of just trying to trying to get the advantage. And last year, I, for some reason, I didn't necessarily do this, but in the third round, so obviously the first round for us in Fantasy League, I absolutely went miles ahead in the, in the FA Cup. I was like, this is great. Now I'm just going to try and win this trophy. Annoyingly, it then someone else caught up with me and it went down to the final day. It felt like a final because only the two of us could have won it. It was that Manchester derby. And he ended up pipping me on the final day, which was really frustrating. But I have been known to sort of like bring in a second keeper, you know, like a Kelleher, for example, mm. for Liverpool, which I haven't done on this occasion, in, a, in an effort to, and especially as the competition progresses, if I'm doing well, be like, I'm going to try and win this trophy now. But I haven't done that this week. Like I said, maybe because I'm doing so well in the league. Maybe I don't <laughs> want to do well in the FA Cup. Don't need to think about um, it. But also I did think about it because we have our transfer window this week and I did think, I was like, well, maybe I could do that. And a team where you, where, where you, where you know you might be able to do that is a team like Man City, for example. But then again, you've got a lot of, or it could be for any of these bigger teams. But then if you filled out anyway, if I've got my two Man City players, I'm not going to go and get a Man City second keeper. I'm not going to go and get like Oscar Bob because otherwise I'd have to be ditching Bernardo Silva or Nathan Ake. So um, I think I might be going the same tactics as last season as try and do really well at the beginning and then see if I tweak and amend as I go through the competition. Yeah, I mean, also it's something that feels so dependent on a draw, which you just don't know. Like, obviously you're talking about bringing in Kilman for sort of the Christmas fixtures because you can look and say, Mm -hmm. okay, 
this is someone who's going to play all of these games. I think Wolves are going to do pretty well on this run. But, you know, you've got no idea. Because part of me was like, well, I guess one way of looking at it is, is if there are teams who you feel like are on a good run anyway. I think obviously West Ham are a team we've mentioned, you know, in the past couple of weeks as um, looking quite good at the moment. And they've got Bristol City on Sunday. That, that there's an opportunity there, but you've got no like you've got no idea who they could then get Man City in the next round, and you know. So I feel like it's a bit a bit of a tough one unless you have that weekly transfer window. There are some fun all Premier League fixtures though, which I guess are the ones of, of particular interest. Kicking it all off with Palace against Everton. Yeah, Palace. How are you feeling about uh. that? It's a weird one because I think both teams are kind of similar in how they've approached the season in that way it's kind of quite hard to predict the FA Cup who they're going to play and by that I mean that their squads are small in some cases deliberately we've spoken about Sean Dyche playing you know sort of like playing the same 11 players all the time Hodgson has also done the same I think Hodgson would argue that he doesn't trust some of those younger players perhaps like rightly so Um, so will we see some of them against Everton and Everton have done exactly the same thing as well there's been little rotation but also little subs from Everton and when some of those players are introduced it's almost like they're sort of like not at it really I don't know are they going to both do they both really care about this competition they're both oh I was about to say they're both in the relegation fight I didn't quite mean that I think they're both above the relegation fight but they're both at risk of being pulled in Mm. to the bottom three I don't know, yeah, I'm kind of like feeling from a Palace point of view, maybe similar to where I am about my my team. Do I care too much about this the FA Cup or not? I don't it's not like I'd necessarily want to see some of these younger players and I'm worried now because we have a couple of players who are going off to the Africa Cup of Nations as well. And we've had injuries to some key players like Elise and Eze who I don't really want to see play on Thursday. But obviously I do want Palace to do well. So it's a kind of one where like wince and look at the game potentially even go into the game as well and, and think like, oh, I kind of hope no one gets injured, please. Yeah, it would be nice to win, but it also wouldn't be a disaster if we don't. The advantage is, is in this kind of matchup, you, you assume Everton sort of feel the same way, that when you have that sort of Premier League pressure, you've, you've got two approaches, right? You either say, OK, we actually want to go all out in the FA Cup because, you know, it's a big confidence boost. I think Newcastle and that derby against Sunderland particularly feels like a game where it's like that kind of becomes must win because of the the significance of the fixture but also because they just need something to arrest this whereas I think if you're if you are sort of more concerned about being potentially pulled into a relegation battle I mean Everton are basically there at the moment aren't they then I do think there's still you know a, a reluctance to go all out in a game when you can give your sort of star players a break and then and this has become sort of FA Cup roulette that you it's very hard to know which approach the teams will take. I think Brentford Wolves is also a very interesting one in this sense because Brentford are struggling and they played this game like a week ago basically. Um yeah. so that's a really weird happens. one as well. Uh yeah, it's a weird one. And but I think Wolves I love talking about Wolves. Someone in my league who listens to the podcast says that I love talking about Wolves. But I do. I really do like Wolves. But I just find them so fascinating. I've said before how like they're doing so brilliantly well, not brilliantly. They're doing. They're, I like them, and then I look at their like. There's just so many free agents. They're not scoring that many fantasy league points. They did really well against Everton over the weekend. Incredibly well at home, by the way. But they are away here to Brentford, and this is definitely a competition which I think that they should be targeting to do well in. And Brentford aren't in a particularly good spell. Yeah, I've got nothing new to say other than 
<laughs> Go Wolves. Go Wolves. I love Wolves. <laughs> um, uh, Tottenham Burnley is another Friday All Premier League fixture. Tottenham seem to sort of refound themselves a little bit. Uh, I didn't actually watch the game against Bournemouth, but it does sound like they they rode their luck a little bit, even though eventually they got quite a, a comprehensive win. Obviously, they have a lot of injuries, a lot of sort of AFCON Asia Cup exits. Do you think this is one where we could potentially see a bit of an upset? Potentially. And, and Burnley, I don't know, Burnley are so untrustworthy. Probably like the most untrustworthy team in the in the league now, I feel. Saw bits of, I think I sort of must have seen Match of the Day, but listening so much about them during the day as well on the radio. And Lyle Foster is back now for Burnley and he looked really lively on and off the ball. He's someone that people have gone big in for this transfer window for us, trying to get him in. He's the type of performance that basically you watch and think, yeah, he's kind of got fancy league written all over him. But yeah, I go back to the point that about Burnley being untrustworthy, no matter how well they have played at parts and no matter how sort of brave company has been. And I think there's still a bit of a hangover of how they played last season. They're just They're just incapable of keeping a clean sheet and incapable of of looking like at the, the the level required to be to be playing in this league against this type of team it's like they they they're shocked each time be like no we kind of we really want to play this way and we're not really able to but again we maybe it might be similar to what we were saying about Everton and Palace I don't, you don't know how Tottenham will approach this competition Although knowing Postacoglu, he'll probably just play his best eleven and be like, "Yeah, just keep playing the same lads, mm. be fine." Mate, please. Uh, yeah, mate. <laughs> but this should be a competition that he's targeting. So, so yeah, that that is a really interesting fixture fixture on Friday between the two. But you asked whether it could be an upset. Yes, but I think seeing as the first thing I said that Burnley are untrustworthy, I'll stick with that rule and say that. They will continue to be untrustworthy here. Mm, I think the fact that Spurs are at home is is probably helpful. But this is all really preamble for the standout fixture of the FA Cup third round on Sunday. Arsenal-Liverpool, what I think before, well, like what on Christmas Day you would have put as like between the two title favourites. I'm not quite sure if that's where we can say we're at with Arsenal now after this kind of extraordinary run, back-to-back losses over Christmas. Even Chelsea managed to get more points than them in December. So where do you stand on this one? Liverpool obviously absolutely smashed Newcastle. I know the scoreline doesn't quite reflect it, but it's one of the most one-sided football matches I think I have ever watched in my life. I can't believe that Liverpool only managed to score four. For Arsenal... Do you think this is freaking them out a little bit? I think so. I think they're kind of like... And, and a lot of the problems are kind of... It's that point now where like they're all becoming really obvious to everyone. Mm. Almost similar to them as well. We're kind of seeing like that Arsenal of old where like they don't really know what to do or they're trying. It's kind of like they run out of ideas other than just sort of like give it to Saka. That they kind of look like what Man City tried to solve with by buying Haaland. But I think a lot has been put on that with Man City because it's not like Man City were really poor without Haaland. They've just found a new way of playing. And by that, you know, Arsenal clearly need this forward. Jesus hasn't really stepped up to the plate despite taking loads of shots. He doesn't. He hasn't scored. He's taken quite a lot of shots this season, but just hasn't really scored. I think he's only scored three goals, three Premier League goals. And it, it makes you question as well, like why did they buy Havertz? Like, was Havertz not supposed to solve that? 
or is it that maybe they wanted Havertz to be this sort of left wing back? Uh, so a lot of problems hovering around Arsenal. But then you know how I feel about Liverpool, Jesse. And I, d- I did watch the game yesterday. Uh, but then I, as I was watching the game, I was kind of thinking like, I've clearly got an issue against Liverpool. I was finding like issue with everything. It was really surprising when Mo, Mo Salah scored and lifted up his shirt and said, take that, Chris Peel out. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but I was even, and I'm annoyed actually that Jurgen Klopp's uh, engagement ring fell off at the end because I'd actually noticed it already. When he was like turning, when he had his back turned at the second Salah penalty, I think he had his back turned for both penalties. Hated that, by the way. I, I Come really on, hated you're three two up against Newcastle. Like what? It was all for show, and I was then at that point, I was like even finding issue with his wedding band, which I could see because it was so big. And it was at that moment there that I was like, "What are you doing? Why? Are you, like you're really like clutching at straws here." Um, However, I, what I did realise is that it's not everything to do with Liverpool. And when Jota came on, about oh God, maybe it's because he's ex Wolves. I'm so transparent. Uh, but I was like, I actually really like Jota here. Maybe also because he's like one of the only people associated with Liverpool who doesn't believe the whole this doesn't look like he believes the whole this means more rubbish because he generally looks like he doesn't care, like he's just there to play football. Um, play, to but, play football or to play a different sport? They're oh not yeah, yeah, to play diving. Water. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but I was looking at him in particular. Obviously, we know that Salah has gone now and what he'll be able to do. And all seeing how, OK, how are they going to replace him? Because it's not so like for like, I don't think. And are they going to change their formation a bit? Are they going to... I thought Shabozlai played really well and thought, OK, that's a possibility here. So maybe Salah going, could they could shake things up a bit and change the way they play, their style of play, their formation to maybe appeal to me a bit more as long as I don't have to look at Jurgen Klopp's wedding ban. And, yeah, they are slowly convincing me that they're perhaps not worthy of the rent I gave a few weeks ago. And I was like, what are they? There's no way they're going to be able to keep this up. Yeah, they are starting to slowly impress. Slightly annoy me as well. Yeah, I'm intrigued as well. Um, Yeah, because I have Cody Gakpo, who did get a goal, and I was kind of banking on... January being a time where he might get some more minutes. I've got to be honest, I don't know if that all happened for him. I didn't think he was amazing when he came on uh, yesterday, even though he did score. But they're in this weird position where Nunes looks amazing, but cannot score at all. Um, And I think it's been fine so far around Nunes and, and what he sort of can and can't do, because Mo Salah is just either scoring or generating so many chances that, that stuff is going in. And that's that's obviously what we saw last night with this, you know, the, the highest XG sort of in recorded history over the past decade, but, you know, underperforming it by three goals. How the burden, you know, sort of within that team changes while Salah away, is away, I think it's going to be really interesting. And I think probably what we're more likely to see is just a lot of different things tried would be my guess. I feel like this is a good sort of, well, I'm, ho- I'm hoping from a selfish perspective that this is going to be uh, an opportunity to see more of some of the, the other Liverpool players, whereas it feels like Klopp had really started to nail down what that starting eleven looked like. And I think we might see a bit more rotation whilst Salah is away, because as you say, there's no obvious like-for-like like switch there, really. Yeah. And on that, I think that he has he does have the squad, and from a fantasy league perspective, you've got the squad to actually play with a bit there, because I was trawling through our free agent list yesterday. And obviously this will differ from league to league, but I think there'll be some pattern. And I was looking at 
well, I went through every single team and Arsenal, there was kind of like hardly anyone left. And Liverpool, even though there's a lot of players who are in our league with Liverpool, there were still some there who were worth picking up. And if you are looking at doing this sort of FA Cup thing as well, I mentioned Kelleher before, whether he'll be the cup keeper, he probably will. But also the likes of Harvey Elliott. Curtis Jones, obviously scored yesterday. And they, there are some squad players there that are of use, but, and maybe beyond just the FA Cup. You know, Harvey Elliott is one of those players, like I said, now with Salah going. He could be one that's pushed a bit slightly forward. And if he's not picked up yet in your league, he could be a good FA Cup player if they go beyond this round as well and also someone to target in the league too. Yeah, there's definitely some interesting options there um, looking ahead to January and and potentially what might change. Um, Any, just to sort of wrap this up, any of the fixtures which aren't between Premier League teams which you think might be an opportunity for people to pick up a ton of points? Any one you think is going to absolutely smash who they're up against well uh well you know Bournemouth are increased with every as every week goes by they're they're becoming even more convincing and QPR uh, they're I will away say, to QPR are rub- my best friend is the a Chelsea QPR. fan says QPR no, <laughs> my best friend is a QPR fan so I keep an eye on her misery and I will tell you, QPR are rubbish. Um, well, if they are rubbish, they're not going to like the fact that Bournemouth... The, the, the big stat with Bournemouth is the, is the amount of shots they seem to be taking. I think that they, in that game against uh, Tottenham on the weekend, they took more shots against... I know, that, I know they lost, but it was they, they took more shots against a big six team than any other league than any other team that had done this season and they're taking like more shot it keeps coming up all the time like they've just take, made more shots than they have done since like 2019 now since 2018 like away from home at home so if they're playing against a team who are not very confident and you are not doing very well then that's not going to be too great for QPR and again they are a team who maybe were abandoned a bit at the start of the season when they weren't doing well in Fantasy League and you are going to be able to start picking up some of their players and if you do have their players and if you've got Dominic Solanke then you are a very very happy Fantasy League manager indeed so yeah I think Bournemouth is one I had to check then see who Man United were playing Man United are the final, final fixture against Wigan every week we say the same thing we don't really know what's going to happen with Man United but it will be an interesting game nonetheless I suppose yeah the only other one I'm kind of intrigued by and just generally as a team who I think maybe are worth thinking about is Forrest Blackpool Forrest Mm. obviously got that win over United beat Newcastle as well on Boxing Day new manager bounce maybe but I think definitely worth having a look at they've got they've not got a great run of fixtures after that They've got Brentford away, Arsenal at home, Bournemouth away. So it's going to be an interesting one to see how that plays out. But I feel like there's definitely a sense of of, um, positivity. I think there was obviously a lot of disappointment when Cooper was sacked. But I feel like the (laughs) football fans are so fickle, aren't they? They're like, "Uh, well, we did really love him, but we've beaten United now. So let's go Nuno. But yeah, I think that will be an interesting one to to keep an eye on. And, And finally, maybe as well, the fact that Fulham are playing Rotherham I know you won't want to whack Lyrical too much about Fulham, but they have been playing very well recently. Tom Kearney is a player who's just signed a new deal as well, and he's been getting really involved creatively going forward to add to the likes of Raul Jimenez, who is finally going to exist in the GLWFL this week. He was the most popular player 
uh, that people went after. We'll see how that auction goes uh, this week. They look like they're playing with plenty of confidence, obviously having just beaten Arsenal over the weekend as well. All right, that wraps us up on the FA Cup. We wish you all the luck in the world as you head into the new com- new competition. It's always fun to have a clean slate at the start of the year. Don't know if anyone's got any fancy league new news resolutions. Maybe we can uh, get some of those as we uh, as we go into January. You can get in touch with us on podcast at fantasyleague.co.uk or on social media through at Fantasy League. We'll be back in part two as we chat to Stephen Fuller. So if you've been listening to the podcast, you'll know that um, my history in the game was being was playing in a league and then breaking away and forming my own. And we have this week someone else who's done the same, although he broke away, but also actually stayed in the old league as well. We've got Stephen Fuller with us, who is playing somehow in two different leagues at the same time. And so has plenty to say about the game, which he knows extremely well and which he loves. Stephen, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm good, yeah. I've um, been a player of the league for over 25 years and I've had two leagues for 10 years. So, you know, my head is full of fantasy league on my day-to-day going and conversations with people both at work and, and socially. So it's a major part of my life. Let's start with that because how are you able to do that? I mean, let alone, I mean, okay, you can organise the two different dates for the auction, but you're managing two completely different teams. How do you keep on top of it? I don't really. I, I'm never too sure which players are in which team until I check it. And that's particularly difficult when you've got sort of 10 different defenders and six different strikers when you're trying to work out whether a goal actually helps one team or hinders another team. I had um, Salah scored last night, which ruined my Newcastle defence. And I had to wait till I checked the tables this morning to work out which team it actually had ruined. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun though. It also means that virtually every single player in every single game has an impact on, on the leagues that I'm in. Yeah, it's good fun. Uh, for me, really, you know, the league is, is important, but as a lot of people have also said it's the social aspect of it. Um, the London League, I live in Gloucestershire now, so the London League is very much a, a catch-up with really good old friends on the auction day and staying in touch with them during the year, which is, it gives you that sort of that common bond, that conversational thing, that WhatsApp group, that chat every single week. The Gloucester one is with uh, people I, I work with or have worked with because some have moved on to different jobs now, uh, and that gives me something different to talk about other than work and that gives a real sort of different sort of relationship with people as well so it works really well yeah I think that social element is obviously so um powerful for lots of different people what's it been like coming having one set of people who you've obviously like learned the game with uh in terms of your London league and then having another set of people who you've introduced the game to this is going to sound really patronizing so I hope none of the people from Gloucestershire take this take this the wrong way but when I set up the Gloucestershire league I did it to make them love the league so I wasn't overly bothered about winning. And then obviously, because I've done the league for 15 years or so, it meant I knew what I was doing at an auction. So people who do an auction for the first time spend all their money far too quickly. Whereas those of us who have done it for a few years know you've got to keep some money back. So in the first auction, virtually everybody else had spent their 50 million money in the first hour and a half. And then I managed to pick up all the good players for next to nothing. So it took two or three years for people to actually realise that actually you didn't want to spend all your money on the first two or three players and that goalkeepers weren't worth a lot of money. And if we knew you supported Liverpool, we would take advantage of that and make you pay more for Liverpool players. So it didn't take them very long to catch up. In my first season, actually, I was I was winning the league with the Gloucestershire League. And it was that season where uh, Stoke beat Liverpool 6-1 in the last game of the season, which goes back about 10 years. And uh, I had... 
two Liverpool defenders. So thankfully, Ange managed to swing the league back on the last day of the season. And I was driving back from Salisbury in the afternoon on Sunday and every Stoke goal that went in, I'm thinking, oh, that, that's minus points for Liverpool. Um, and so Ange won the league by, by one point that season. And uh, she's actually won it last year as well. So it's um, it's been good to create that sort of excitement about uh, the league. And what's been really good with the Gloucester League is we've changed the rules and the point system. So the leagues are actually quite different now in how they work. The London League has the sort of classic point systems, where the Gloucestershire League has very, very different point systems. And that massively changes who you should pick and how you should play the game. So they do have sort of different uh, elements to them as well. Uh, we've got uh, eight players in the Gloucestershire League. Four of them I work with and four of them I have worked with or are friends of people I've worked with. Uh, and there's been three or four other people who have come and gone to that league. And it gives us a real, uh, yeah, different insight into people and how it's built sort of personal relationships as opposed to just professional ones too. And you've been trying to persuade the London League to to change some leagues as well, but but the traditional uh, old league just won't won't change at all, will they? It's going to take a lot to, to break them down. Yeah, it is. I mean, and you don't want to spoil what makes it special as well. And and introducing rules that I'm used to that they're not to make it slightly biased. So in in the Gloucestershire League, we have points for yellow cards, red cards, own goals, penalty saved, goalkeeper points, all of those things. They don't actually make a massive difference. Uh, but the one thing that does make a massive difference is the points for playing. And that turns. So James Ward-Prowse, when he played for Southampton, was a classic example. It turned a sort of pretty cheap midfielder who you might get for not too much towards the end of the auction into someone actually was going to play every single week and was therefore a better option than, say, your Jack Grealish's or your your Phil Foden's who might only start half the games um, because getting that one point every single week made a difference. If you've got a, a squad of 15 players and you're picking 15 players who play every week when you've got 15 points every single week. Whereas if you've got 15 players and half of them aren't playing or coming on a subs or what so forth, you're seven or eight points behind before anything happens. So when we introduced that rule a couple of years ago, we began to realise actually you had to get all your squad playing each week. So picking non-playing defenders or I had Nick Pope in my team. So when he gets injured for a long time, I know I've got to jettison him out because actually you need, as long as the goalkeeper doesn't concede more than two goals a, a game, he's going to get you a, a point even if he concedes one. So it does change the way you uh, approach transfers. It changes the way you approach auctions. Uh, and some of the players who who might not play each week um, then tend to go for less money. So it does have an impact on auctions. And every single sort of weekend rotation by, I mean, your Man City defenders are a classic example. That really affects their value. Where Arsenal tend not to rotate those defenders so often. So our Arsenal defenders a better vine than, than Man City defenders. And even having, you know, Man United defenders in, as long as they're not letting in more than two, you're picking up a point every week. So there's lots of interesting sort of angles on on how that affects it. That's the one rule of change I'm trying to push through for London and say, look, it makes it makes it really interesting. It makes those players that people never normally buy actually worth getting. Uh, and particularly when you've got a large league uh, with a long, large number of managers, it helps make that that more interesting. I, I can see it taking a long time. The only thing I did manage to change was the uh, the auction strategy in London. So we used to do this ridiculous system whereby you'd go round, I don't know how many other leagues do this, you'd go round in order, everyone sat at the table and, and the next person would say the player they wanted to bid on and then you'd go round every single person who would go up 0.1 or 0.2. So each player took forever. Um, and then with the league in Gloucester, I introduced a system where it ran like a proper auction whereby anybody could bid at any point and you had sort of going, going, gone. 
And then we also changed the way that players were nominated. So people, instead of just saying somebody as they came round, would um, put five names on bits of paper and put them into a pot and draw them out at random. And that managed to speed up the auction hugely. And it also meant that the people who would drop out on the old system weren't allowed to come back in could suddenly think actually that play is far too cheap and they could come back in and push the price up so it actually made that more exciting so that is something that that london have adopted you know Stephen, i want to see you like um the trendy american owners who come into the premier league with their with their fancy ideas or maybe i don't see you as that i wonder if the london league see you as that coming in with your trendy new ideas we've been playing this league a long time we know how it's done and you're slowly trying to chip away introduce like the 39th game and everything as well but it sounds like some you've got some really interesting ideas there that's not to belittle them I think doing the auction like a proper auction is is much better than going round and bidding, which I'm still aware that some people do. I think the auctions have changed massively. When I did them 25 years ago, you had to do all the research before you turned up because there was nothing on your mobile phone you could find out. And it made a, a real advantage as to you know who would actually research those players that you'd never heard of before. I think uh, going back 25 years where a certain L. Robert arrived at Newcastle, he was uh, not nominated until very, very late. And then Ivan, one of the people in the London League, nominated, I bid for this L. Robert person, pretending not to know who it was. And it went all around the auction. The only other person who'd heard of him was me. And so no one was paying any attention because it was quite late on and everyone was quite drunk. And then suddenly they realised that somebody called L. Robert they'd never heard of had Ivan and me bidding three and a half, four million for. And they suddenly wanted to know who he was. And obviously in those days, no one could find out on their phones back in early 2000, 2001, who these people were. That's massively changed now. I think the amount of research that we do is, is almost non-existent. I buy the, uh, um, I don't know if I'm allowed to say what, but anyway, I buy a sporting betting newspaper uh, pre-season preview that has all the suggested le- player lineups and the major transfers. And in the two-hour journey from Gloucester to London, I can basically Google anyone I've not heard of and have a fair idea. Whereas previously, we used to bring in all the, uh, the Sunday supplements and pass them around and argue over how bad the Sunday supplements were because none of them quite seemed to get what was important for a fantasy league auction. And that's changed massively. The other thing that's changed at the auction is is that habit of sitting back. Uh, one of our managers, Phil and Gaplay, did it first. So he kept his 50 million budget and spent no money at all. And then obviously he picked up all the mid-range players at prices that that uh, seemed a bargain at the time and won the league by a country mile. But that only works one year because the next season everyone tried to do it. So all the players at the start were far too cheap. And now people are aware that they need to keep some money back. So the more years you play it, the, definitely the more skilled you get in an auction. But I also think that new players who turn up who've never played it before often come with new strategies and new ideas. And having two auctions, you can see how things really affect um, what happens. So in the auction in Gloucestershire, there's a lot of... Um, Liverpool fans, the Liverpool players are really expensive. In London, Arsenal in particular are much more expensive than they are in Gloucestershire. And the other thing that is that Haaland question. How much of your budget does someone spend on Haaland? So in uh, in Gloucestershire, I had the Gloucestershire auction before London this year. And out of the 100 million budget we have there, Haaland went for, I think, 34 or 35 million. But in the uh, the London auction where we have... 50 million budget, Haaland went for 34 million. So it's the same price in, in the half the budget. And it's interesting to see how that works. Obviously, the players who have bought Haaland in both leagues are doing terribly. Because if you buy Haaland, you've got to get the rest of your team bang on. Otherwise, it's, it's, it's a waste of time having it. So you can also get to load. Doing the Gloucestershire League first, I was able to, to find out about players that perhaps didn't know 
as much as I should have done. And that meant I was better informed for the London one. So there's huge advantages in having two leagues. Really. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. It's interesting because in some ways, I'd assume that maybe the, the Gloucestershire one can act as like a bit of a bellwether. But from what you've just said about the Harland thing, clearly there are some, you know, it's still almost impossible to predict exactly what direction things are going to go in and maybe how extreme things go I guess because almost the nature of why Fancy League is so great is I think the in-person auctions creates this sort of sense of I don't know I think it prompts more maybe like irrational uh, strategies at some points especially when lots of people drink alcohol during them which I think means (laughs) maybe if you did two auctions but you know everyone was sort of sat at home sober and really focused separately on Zoom or something they'd be more easy to like figure out the general trend. But when you're in that actual real life situation, things can change very quickly. Yeah, absolutely. I think doing it live makes it completely different. I think doing it online or doing it virtually with sealed bids, I don't think it has half the impact. I think the other thing that's interesting is that with the, the London League, uh, Thierry Henry going back 20 years, famously went for 31 million one year. And so we had that sort of benchmark as to how much a star player has to go for. So we were all pretty sure that Haaland would go for more than 31 million. And, and the Gloucestershire League, the, the price for Haaland was a record as well. So it's all relative to what that league's expectations were. So for the Gloucestershire League, the Haaland price seemed really high, but actually it wasn't that high relative to what, what had happened before. So I think each league has its own sort of history. And each league has its own sort of running jokes as well. We used to, um, the London League, we used to, get far too drunk with far too many people. So we used to have 16 managers and quite a few hangers-on as well. So there'd be over 20 people there. Uh, And the hangers-on didn't care anything. They just got very, very drunk. A lot of us played in the same Sunday League football team back then as well. Uh, And we had sort of lots of um, players who had sort of nicknames. And Jermaine Defoe was the classic one. So Jermaine Defoe would go around again, Jermaine Defoe, yes or no? And that would just go on for 10 minutes of people just shouting that out. So there were lots of sort of things that became sort of part of the auction culture. And I'm sure that's true all the way through. And there's also the big mistakes that people make. There's always the people who buy the players who are injured or out for the season or no longer exist or the people who have not done their research. Uh, I think another of the interesting things this year about the auction was how much Harry Kane went for because the auctions took place before he'd gone to Germany. In the Gloucestershire auction, he went really relatively cheaply. In London, he went for about 15 million, I think. So people were kind of thinking that he may not go, in which case he's a bargain. That in London is, is called the Jumberg rule. So years and years ago, Freddie Jumberg was supposed to be going to Fiorentina. This was kind of signed, sealed and delivered, at least that's what the rumours had. And so Charlie picked him up for about 0.5 or 0.6. And he didn't go to Fiorentina and he scored over 45 points. And all it takes is, is for one signing like that to happen and... The auction balance to shift. If you can get a key player for next to nothing, it makes a huge difference. So every auction, you know, whenever I in Gloucestershire when I was first there, I tried to create that are they injured rumour. You know, we all the live auction about people going, are they injured or they're out for three months? That used to have so much more power. But now everyone can just Google whether they're injured or not. And you can find that out. So uh, there's conversations about whether we should ban mobile phones at the auction or not. So all those things make the live auction very, very exciting, but also give each auction its own history, I think, too. Yeah, and I wanted to ask a bit about the people who take part in in the league, well, in both leagues, really, because the way that you described it to us before you came on the podcast is, you know, it goes beyond the game sometimes as well. It's, It's a major support network in your life, the way that you described it. And it sounds like it's the same for um, for some of the other people who have been playing. Yeah, I mean, I think the Gloucestershire League's been going 10 years and it still feels like the baby league 
for me. And it's, it's been a really good way for me to get to know new colleagues when I started a new job and, and get to know them away from the work environment and talk about things other than progress with students in a school and so forth. Uh, the London League, you know, there's people I've known since I was 10 or 11 years old in that league. And, you know, that's one of the most important people in my life. And, and the Fantasy League has been something that sort of guarantees that we see each other at least once a year. It, it helps us keep in touch, you know, with, with WhatsApp. Conversations about Fantasy League points and players often, you know, reveal you find out that you know people's parents have been ill or, or what have you and you know able to support and lead to longer sort of phone conversations and so forth you know i think it's, it's been true of all the, the podcasts and people i've listened to you know fantasy most of them have played it for a number of years and yes playing it is a, is a great source of passion and fun but what it really does it, it gives you that excuse really to get in touch with friends that you may otherwise not speak to for for, for ages um and it, and it really helps i think um build those bonds and security and support network and i think in these days where we talk a lot about mental health we talk about a lot about making sure that we reach out and support people i think fantasy league is a really good way of doing it and i think the way that this fantasy league works, as opposed to the, the one that's done nationally, it creates those really important local small networks, and so that everybody isn't anonymous. Everyone is their own team. You know, I've got my team, some Twitter selection, and it is completely different to every other team in the league, and that makes it personal to me. But it also creates it personal to that league and the other people. So when Salah scores a couple last night. I know, I know that's six points for Phil that I'd rather they didn't have. So it has people there rather than some amorphous, anonymous nobody. So it does make it personal. And it is uh, something that I, I treasure. And uh, we're already actually working out when we have our auction next summer and trying to make sure that we can all make it and booking dates with families. I think I first started playing it when I was at university in the 90s. And I'm now 50 years old, married with three children and and the leagues have gone through some some changes in terms of who's part of it, but it, they've sort of grown um, and, and decreased beautifully over time. And we can talk now instead of talking about whatever we talked about 30 years ago, but we shouldn't talk about that. But um, now we're talking about what people's children are up to, how their families are. It's, it's really, it's, you know, if you put together a, a list of all the things that we've talked about and the, the way we've supported people and how people have come and gone, during particularly the London League has been very supportive. And even in Gloucestershire, it's developing its own history with people coming and going. And the league now has only got four people I work with, five people I work with, I think. And that's a real sort of a change that people are staying in the Fantasy League because obviously the enjoyment of it, but also the fact that it's an excuse to see old colleagues every year and find out how we are. You said, uh, Stephen, about the bonds and, and relationships. I do wonder about the guy and his family bond and relationship, the person who... Uh, attended the day after his twins were born. I hope that uh, he was able to, yeah, it didn't affect the family relationship back home that he prioritised the fantasy league auction. Yeah, I mean, I'm, a guy called Jimmy, I'm sure in some ways he would say he prioritised, you know, what was right for him at that time. You know, it was a very stressful time for him with two premature twins and he'd been in hospital quite a lot. So I think, you know, for him, you know, having had children myself who've been... Ill. There's nothing you can do in some ways. So in some ways, getting out, going to London, having a day where you're you're not thinking about it may have helped Jimmy at that time then go back and support his wife. I think those of us were like, really? When we turned up at the auction to clarify, you know, that he was here and, and what had happened. I think it was important for him. And it's, um, it's yeah, something I remember each time I see him. Um, and we've also had people turn up and, you know, from Australia and people come down from Newcastle for the auction. And I travel up from Gloucestershire. In fact, the London... London League has lots of us now who make it a day trip. I tend to stay over at friends' houses as well. So it makes a real weekend of it. And I think, as I talked about in terms of mental health and going back to Jimmy's, you know, having had children thing, it is something that's important. It is something that's put in the diary. It's 
something that in the summer people plan holidays around is important to people. I've heard lots of people say, you know, it's like Christmas Day. And actually, it's not like Christmas Day for me because Christmas Day with three children and, and families to try to keep happy is a time of sort of pressure and worried about it all going wrong and, and what can lead to disappointment. It's more like New Year's Eve used to be when I was a teenager where you knew you were going to go out have a lot of fun with really close friends, probably get very drunk and make a few mistakes, but come back home in the morning. And it's a little bit more like that for me in that it hasn't got any pressure about it going wrong because it really doesn't matter at all what really happens. What matters is the conversations you have and the fun that you have. Christmas is, for me is now with three children is very much a time of pressure and worrying about getting it all sorted out. And, and there isn't that at all, really. So it's a different sort of emotion, I think, as I get older. If it was more like a New Year's Eve used to be. I, I couldn't care less about New Year's Eve now with, with three children going to bed earlier. But when I was younger, it was a big night out and social and expectation. It's got that feel to it now. I think that resonates, especially uh, after having had just Christmas and, and New Year's Eve. Um, but Stephen, thank you so much for joining us. It's been amazing to, to hear about your two different leagues. I'm honestly still a bit in awe that you managed to put two teams together. My brother, I think, did it for one season and um, just gave up because it was too much effort. So I'm, I'm incredibly impressed. Thank you. I had both my teams in the top 20 at one point in the season. Uh, and to reflect on how hard it is now, they're definitely not in the top 20 anymore. So we'll see how it goes. <laughs> thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thanks a lot, Stephen. Welcome back to part three and a part that I know Chris has been waiting for this whole recording to get to because we are joined by Neil Mansfield. Happy New Year, Neil. And Neil comes bearing the news of whether Chris was the highest scoring fantasy league manager this week. 45 points is the number to beat, Neil. Disclaimer, I don't think it will be, or it should be. <laughs> He's already backing out. <laughs> He's blushing, listeners. Remember, it's a double game week, so, you know... It was a double game week for everyone, so... I don't... You keep saying yes, that. <laughs> no, but what I mean by is that everyone's like, wow, 45, and I'm like, yeah, but 45 is like maybe like half of 45. It's like 22 and a half. So why don't I tease this out a little bit more? So the team of the week had a Crystal Palace midfielder. That's you. Yeah, that's me. Uh, uh, an Aston Villa striker. <gasps> Ollie Watkins. Brighton tick. defender. Uh, no. Oh, oh wow. I, had I thought I was going to tease you out a little bit oh, more and blown no. it. Blown it. No. Um, <laughs> what did you score, by the way? 44, was it? I got 45. 45. Two points away. Two points away. Oh, I know. Um, oh, no. Massive, massive congratulations to Harry Gregg. In the Mange, the Mange League, I think that's how you say it. The Mange, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, exactly. had the Mange. the Mange. We've had the Mange already. The Mange. Seven. Po- well, I didn't know quite how to Mange. say it either. So the Mange, the Mange, the, the Mange, <laughs> forty-seven points. So yeah, a massive shout out to, wow. to Harry. That's that's a fantastic total. A clear, a clear, <laughs> a clear winner. I'm sorry, Chris. I'm sorry. I was hoping to. I had a couple more just to sort of pull that out, but obviously blew it on the Brighton defender. Never mind. Never mind. Blew it on the Brighton defender. It's all right. I'm very happy with 45. Yeah, you should be. You should be. <laughs> who was your high scoring? Who was your high scoring player of the week? Good question because it's reset now. Yeah. So I need to try and kind of remember. And as I was telling Jesse, it's kind of like it was quite evenly split the way that the points went. Obviously, Max Kilman got six. You got Elise. You got a clean sheet. Elise, Cunha, Watkins. Oh, so evenly spread. So a nicely sort of you know. Yeah. Okay. 
Fair enough. Jao Pedro in midweek. I'm trying to think back even one yeah. game week before, and you've got to think all the way back to last year, of course. I can't quite remember. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. Very close, but a good performance. Right. Moving on, I think we should tackle what... And I've got manager of the month. <laughs> Keeps on coming. Keeps on coming. Um, transfers out and transfers in. Transfers out. Pretty straightforward like they are. But there is a an individual, a certain Liverpool defender, who is way out in front. Certain left back that replaced uh, Robertson. Timmy Scass is, is, is way out in front of the number of transferred out players. You know, then you, you drop down to Lachelles and Adringa, Livramento, Mitoma, Embueno and Romero. Interestingly, just outside the top 10 comes Dubravka, so which, which I thought was quite interesting. I mean, OK, you know, Liverpool did dominate, you know, last night. And, they, they you know, what was it? The, the highest number of shots in a game, I think, something, something like that. Um, but I thought he played all right, Dubravka. Well, he would have got good points last night in the game last night because, and especially if you add the added, if, you if you've got save, save points. points, he got two. Because we were all looking at that yesterday, and we, we, because obviously the save points is worth five, and we didn't know whether if it hit ten, whether it would go up to a second point, and that was that made the game extra exciting yeah, for us. Exactly, as, as he then he hit ten. Well, that's why I was surprised. You know, lots of people taking him out, but I guess Newcastle haven't got a particularly attractive run of fixtures coming up. I was going to say, I feel like that's a reflection on Newcastle, <laughs> not a reflection on Dubravka, because I don't know if save points can make up for conceding chances yeah. at the yeah. Red yeah. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, I mean, on a similar sort of vein, there is an out-and-out leader in the transfers in. Any guesses? I've got a bit of um, a nod, maybe. But obviously, you know, this is dependent on who was in our league. But we obviously had our... We've got our transfer window this week and this morning we saw who everyone had gone for free agents-wise. And I could tell you that in ours, the most popular players were Raul Jimenez, but I imagine that he will exist in quite a lot of leagues. We've already explained that he didn't exist before in ours. Chris Wood, Ross Barkley, Ariola for West Ham, who actually I went for, Adebayo, Estupinian, Madweke, those are the most ex- most popular players in our league. I wonder if it's any of them. Yeah, I guess from your league, because you, you have a, a slightly longer sort of lean into your transfers, your your sort of, um, your catchment pool is slightly bigger, but actually one of them is in there, Chris Wood. Chris Wood is out by a long chalk, um, the, the leader, in terms of the most transferred in players. And then sitting um, with half is Joe Gomez. Then you've got uh, Garnacho, Sarabia, uh, Tarkowski, um, and so on and so on. But but clearly, uh, Chris Wood um, is the most transferred in player by some considerable distance. How much do you want to put on him <laughs> not scoring again? Well, I've just brought him into my team last week. I don't think we should talk about my team because I'm, now I'm banking on the Asia Cup and the AFCON having an absolutely massive impact on the leaders in my league for me to have any chance of uh, of even sort of uh, reaching mid-table mediocrity this year, to be honest. Yeah, my season has uh, sort of slowed down a little bit. But that does lead in quite nicely to a little piece that we're going to be adding in. Um, obviously, everyone knows that we add in you know, injured players on a weekly basis. We will also, over the course of the next couple of days, so probably by the time this pod comes out on Thursday, we'll have updated all of those players who are heading off to AFCON or the Asia Cup. And there'll be a little icon with the possible length of absence, which in some cases will extend until the middle of February. And then we'll update those as and when they return back to the, um, uh, the Premier League. 
And what about incomings, uh, Neil? Because it's January the 2nd now, so the official Premier League transfer window is open, uh, which means there could be some new players joining the league. At what point will they join the Fantasy League? Yeah, so that's, that's really interesting. So we've not really had the opportunity to talk much about that, but there is a fairly sort of standard procedure that we follow, which is, as mentally it sounds quite dull to go through, but it's probably worth just spending 30 seconds just explaining how we do it. We, we have to wait for the club to confirm uh, the player has actually signed and also when the player has been added to our actual Opta feed. So we need to wait for both confirmations, both. And, and usually you'll find that the uh, the club confirmation comes first and then that feeds into Opta, who will then um, update us and send us confirmation that player has been added to the feed. When we get that confirmation, um, usually the same day we will add them. There are some specific rules that we adhere to to make sure that there's no sort of complicated mix-ups over the weekend. So we don't add um, any new players uh, over a weekend so that there's no sort of, you know, possibility of that mixing up with sort of heavy game weekends. And we do not add players from 12 o'clock onwards on a Friday afternoon. So there's pretty much a a moratorium on adding players um, from 12 p.m. uh, on a Friday afternoon uh, all the way through until Monday morning. That is good to know. That's something I didn't know, actually. Yeah, we do that just to to ensure there is no sort of um, uh, scoring complications with with sealed bids or with games that occur over the weekend. And we, you know, maybe sort of luck out a bit in that January. There's not actually too many fixtures in January overall. So for those who don't know, obviously, we've got the FA Cup coming up this weekend. And then there's only really one full set of fixtures, but it's spread across two weekends. So... Uh, next weekend will be next week on the podcast. We'll be looking ahead to half a game week, and the following week the other half is kind of like the Premier League's way of doing their winter break, and then we're back with a full game week from the first weekend of February. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, so it should allow us to add in. We do need to do a bit of research. You know, there's uh, around adding players. Do we add them as uh, as midfielders? You know, do we add them as a striker? Those are generally the most contentious. Um, I know there is a, you know, it's a potential shortage of DMFs. We will have a look at those specifically, but um, I think it's important to know we we won't just add a DMF because we think there's, you know, there's a shortage of DMFs. We'll add them because that's, you know, that's the place that they are playing within that team. Although you do see occasionally a lot of youth players coming through, you know, you might see a few youth players coming through into sort of the the squads. So they are quite difficult to research in terms of finding out positions. But generally, within 24 hours of them being added to the feed, you'll find them available in the game. There we go. Efficient service. I think the one thing that I have to wrap up in this part is my European adventure, which came to a depressing end uh, this weekend. Perhaps unsurprisingly, given what a torrid run of form I've been on. I finished bottom of my group. Yeah, I won one and I drew one. So, so it goes. But I should shout out my sister, Emily Park Humphreys, who topped her group with her team, Nicholas Jackson fan account. So she is congratulations for the next round of the Europa League. And in the GLWFL, so our Champions League representative Reese is through to the next Champions League. He plays James Fairhead. Uh, team name Team Jimmy 
And actually, our Europe, one of our Europa League representatives has gone through and he's earned a bye through to the following round. So, Neil, finally, how many uh, rounds can these um, guys expect in the Champions League and Europa League until the end of the season for these European fixtures to eventually conclude and we'll have a winner of each competition? So the Europa starts with 2-5-6 and the Champions League starts with 128. So you knock them off on a on a weekly basis running from the end of Feb all the way through to the end of the season so effectively you're you're halving the numbers each week brilliant stuff good luck to all involved especially Jesse's sister <laughs> indeed indeed yes. so I think that's it for this week good luck to everyone with the FA Cup which kicks off on Thursday which is the day this podcast is out you may already be listening and we'll see how you will get on before the Premier League returns the week after Obviously, lots of players coming in and out of the Premier League, in and out of your fantasy leagues. Let us know how you're getting on. Get in touch with any questions for us, for Neil, or if you'd like to feature in part two, you know where to find us, podcast at fantasyleague.co.uk or at Fantasy League, and we'll see you next week. 